Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week in the red corner, if you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise because there may or may not be the spirit of an ancient witch desperate to cause you harm, as three student filmmakers discover in 1999's The Blair Witch Project. While in the blue corner, there's no place like home, especially if your home has a resident demon with an unhealthy fascination for the less annoying member of a successful young couple. From 2007, it's Paranormal Activity. This is my home, which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. I can see you. I'm real excited about this. Thank you for I'm the opportunity. I'm very glad. Sarah's been haunted by that old woman. Oh, yeah. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. And it's all because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry. Cold and hunted. Just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Can I get a little script, Jesus? I think we're gonna have a very interesting time capturing whatever is occurring or is not occurring. The windows are locked, doors are locked, alarm is on. Something's here. I feel it breathing on me. So it's witch versus demon in today's fight to the death. Which film will be victorious? Let battle commence. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I'm Chris Tilly. I'm Alex, no Mike, it's not the same Log Zane. And joining us for this week's terrifying twosome, we have our very own terrifying twosome. For, twosome! Our very own terrifying twosome. They're insanely fun and wonderfully deranged own found footage horror movie. Dashcam has just hit cinemas around the UK. A big welcome to Clash Pod, to Dashcam writers and exec producers, Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard! Fantastic to have you here, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's Appreciate great. It. It's great. Um, so, first of all, congratulations on Dashcam. Thanks. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what a ride that movie is. So, um, as we're recording this, uh, we are still a couple of days out from when it hits cinemas, although mm-hmm. when people are hearing this, it is out now. That's that confusion done. <laughs> How excited are you to have audiences finally seen the movie? Petrified. 
Petrified, <laughs> but also so excited because obviously we had host out in, in 2020 mm. and because of lockdown, we couldn't see it in the cinemas immediately. It eventually did end up. So this is like a proper film now. It's like watch, mm. it's like a film being released in the cinemas first off. We could sneak into a cinema and see our audiences react. I'm, not, I'm doing weird. that every day. Did, did, <laughs> but didn't it screen at the London Film Festival? Yes. And how did that go? Oh, that was one of the best moments of my life. It was nuts. It was at the Prince Charles Cinema and genuinely people were running out to vomit. The guy who runs the PCC, Paul, he, he had to run out um, and because he was about to puke. And that's the best response you can get. So the fact that you've made people feel sick, is that does that make you feel good or so bad? Proud, so proud. Inside. Oh, it makes me feel uh, glorious. Because the thing is that he also said that um, it was the most rowdy crowd since Evil Dead 2 in the 80s. Oh, that's so, good. yeah, what it's an achievement. A, what a compliment. That's great. So, I mean, we don't want to do too many spoilers because people are going to go see it but mm. what do you know what moment nearly made him sick oh well there is a moment where every bodily fluid comes out uh, so, mm. so I think it's probably that yeah. perhaps yeah I, I had to take a moment after that scene I had to take a moment after that scene it's weird isn't it because obviously Host was uh, fantastic but sort of serendipity wise like Host seemed like the perfect movie to watch during lockdown because in in the quiet dread of your own home locked down that movie felt right but this this feels like a movie designed for a big crowd yeah i mean exactly that was the thing we were like what do we do next like you know difficult second album like how do we follow <laughs> do we follow yeah. host because we were you know we didn't none of us knew how well host would be received we thought you know maybe like a few hundred people on shadow will see it and yeah. you know whatever we had no, like zero expectations it was just fun. So we made this movie for like people in their homes, separated from their friends and like riffing off that anxiety and fear. With Dashcam, like when Jed and Rob like said, hey, do you want to like do this other movie? Like <laughs> we've been thinking. Let's get the gang back together. Let's get the gang back together. Like literally a month <laughs> after the host came out, it was like, let's do a film that's kind of set in this sort of uneasy time where the world is starting to open up again, where we're not exactly safe. Um, yeah. But, you know, get into the cinemas and like experience this thing we haven't been able to do for years. So mm -hmm. that was the kind of idea behind it. So if people haven't heard of Dashcam, what is the setup? So, <laughs> yeah, go, go on, on. Jay, you wow. take it, you take it. Okay. Try and sum up that plot. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine a mushroom dream. Um, so, so basically, it's about um, a woman named Annie Hardy, um, who is a kind of like a, a, a troll. A troll <laughs> who does this live show from her car every day called Bound Car, and Annie actually does this, and and I've been on that show. And uh, what it is, it's a show where her followers uh, suggest a word, and then she'll rap it. She'll do she'll do a freestyle rap in her car. As she's driving around LA, so it's about that. But then she comes to England to get away from the crazy stuff happening in America during the pandemic. Um, and she gets involved in some supernatural stuff. Again, I don't want to spoil it. And it's mm -hmm. difficult. But yeah. um, if you think of the last 10 minutes of Host, it's that, but for 70 odd minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's great. Was it exciting for you as, as filmmakers, as writers? having all these different tools for the first time, because host, you were restricted in what you could do. And now, to a certain degree, you have a blank canvas. Was that a big challenge or was that just pure excitement? Um, I mean, it was. I mean, basically, we wanted to just, like, how far can we push this? What can we get away with? Like, because it was, we had all this, like, goodwill and trust from hosts. It's like, people will be expecting we might do host two or something in that same tone or something, you know, that's maybe just with a bigger budget because host was so, like, limited. Mm -hmm. And um, and then Blumhouse came along, we're like, yeah, let's do a movie. So it's like, 
shit, let's just like see what we can fucking do. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Because like, obviously, like the about three days after Host came out, the Host Two conversation started because everyone was talking about it. And I think on the on day one, I think Dread Central called it the the scariest movie of the decade or something. And we were like, oh wow! And it didn't have it didn't have a poster, it didn't have a trailer. It just dropped on a small streaming service at, at the time. So we were just like, what is going on? And then it just kind of went bigger and bigger and bigger. And then. Sure, we were still like in, in in the kind of honeymoon period of it. We were just like, what is going on? So with, with the confidence that we got from hosts, we were just like, okay, we can probably do anything right now. So me and Rob had a f- uh, had a film that we pitched around pre-host called called Dashcam, and no one wanted it because who were we? we they didn't know who we were. Um, and uh, so after host came out and everyone started coming to us we were just like okay we want to do this film the film that everyone rejected um and it, it, it feels really good yeah it feels yeah. really good and just to do it with blummer house as well who are obviously known as for their for their high concept uh, independent horrors it's kind of a dream come true really mm, and that will be Blumhouse's most recent release and obviously yeah. on Thursday we're going to be talking about one of their very first releases. That's true. Oh, yes. I did love the quote. Uh, I read the quote for uh, for Dashcam, a mic drop to the found footage genre. Yes. What is, I, think, I think it's on the poster. What a great quote. Because it really does feel like a movie that goes, you think you've seen everything this genre can possibly offer you. Take a fucking look at this. Yeah, exactly. I, I think at one point you do see the kitchen sink go, go past. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well, I imagine we're going to be talking a lot more about both host and dashcam as we go through both our films this week. Uh, so the clue I gave you on last week's show was we're going to find something terrifying. Chris, follow that up on Twitter with. I don't know. What did I do? One of the films was shaky. The other was still. Okay, got you back, buddy. Love that. Thank you. Your guesses got lost in the woods on Twitter, where we are at. Clash Pod, but the first correct guest to find its way out was Camillo. Congratulations to longtime listener Camillo. Your prize is nothing this week. You've been very naughty, so I'm going to need you to stand in the corner facing the wall. <laughs> On Thursday, then, we're going to be setting up a camera in Chris's bedroom as he takes us through paranormal activity. Nothing to, nothing to see there. <laughs> Which means today I've got the map to the Blair Witch. Let me take you on a journey. Three student filmmakers, self-assured Heather, laid-back Josh and loose cannon Mike, go wandering into the woods to make a documentary about the legend of the Blair Witch. At which point, they promptly get lost. Mike gets scared and angry, so naturally kicks their only map into a river when no one's watching. They find some twigs. Josh disappears, leaving behind his teeth in a rag. Heather just won't (laughs) stop filming. Mike stands in a corner. The end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, <laughs> the Blair Witch Project. So when you put it like that, it doesn't sound like much, does it? Uh, it really doesn't. Find some twigs. When you pull it apart, you're like, why is this scary? Yeah. Um, so our our individual histories of this movie. I'll start the ball rolling. I know you've heard this story before, but this time it is fundamentally appropriate to the episode. Chris doesn't like it when I retell stories. <laughs> on this show. I've not heard it. Sorry. Please, yeah. please tell away. So I saw this uh, I, I, just after sort of the hype um, when it first came out at the Odeon Cinema uh, on Parkway in Camden. It was a packed cinema and we watched it and the film plays out and then it ends with Mike standing in the corner and it fades to black and then from the very middle of the room 
this one voice goes, what, that's it? <laughs> and the entire cinema cracked up and any sense of lingering dread was gone in that moment. So I was a bit like, really? Yeah, maybe I'm, maybe he's right, this jester. Maybe that was not that great. But then I watched it one more time a few years later on my own at home and... I've never been more scared. It's genuinely one of the most petrifying. Mm -hmm. Actually, weirdly enough, and no smoke, but host is up there yeah. with Aww. one of the most petrifying experiences I've, I've had. And oh, wow, I think thanks. there's a conversation to be had at some point over these two episodes about the circumstances in which you watch these movies and how mm -hmm. that plays into mm -hmm. your enjoyment of them. Uh, so, Jed, when did you first see Blair Witch Project? So I actually didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it a little bit later, um, but I saw it on VHS, which I think is one of the, the best way to watch these types of movies. And again, I, I heard all the hype from it, so I knew what was to come. Um, and obviously, I, I'm a massive horror fan. Um, so when I first watched it, I think I was a little bit disappointed, like yourself at first, because I had the hype of this is the scariest movie ever. This is this made the most money. So I, had a, I went into it with so much expectation. And then I was just like... Oh, okay, that was good, but and then I it kind of sunk sunk into my head like it's incredible what this film done and when you research all the kind of the backstory and how they made it, it's just incredible. It just adds to like the legend of of the Blair Witch and I went and since then I've gone deep into the Blair Witch lore. I, I've read every single book about Blair Witch, um, mm. every single thing. I have watched an unreleased making of the Blair Witch as well that I've got on my computer. No one else has got. Wow, <laughs> I've got that. Um, and um, recently, um, if anyone's seen my Instagram, I went to Burkittsville and I got to hang around in Burkittsville. I I just turned up with with my friend Blair and we knocked on doors legit we knocked on doors spoke to locals um, we got we got uh, the mayor of Burkittsville to kind of like <laughs> hang around with us and coincidentally a bunch of the cast turned up <laughs> wow. so we got to hang around uh, Burkittsville with, with a bunch of the cast we went to all of the locations the cemetery re recreated some scenes we went into the woods where they filmed everything I've got a bit of the Blair Witch house and mm. I don't know if you've seen recently as well in the last few weeks on Twitter the entire internet has said that they want, they want me to remake the Blair Witch he's not lying and like the entire internet all at the same time and um, famous directors and everyone involved with the original Blair Witch has come out and said um like Jed Shepard for the Blair Witch. I'm like, where's this come from? It's, it's insane. Um, I feel like you're making it happen. Yeah, yeah I've done so, some dodgy deal with the devil, <laughs> with the Blair Witch herself. It's amazing. So, is there uh, when you meet the people of Burkittsville, where so much of the film was uh, shot, uh, yeah. uh, the, the legend, you know, it's the the uh, the real life Blair. Yeah. Um, are they sort of like? Are they very much like this is tourism for us? I was told going in, don't speak to the locals about the Blair Witch because they hated it. But mm. it was the exact opposite. Everyone was coming out of their houses, mm. hugging us. They were so interested in telling us the stories of when they were there, when when it was being filmed and stuff. And I know Eduardo Sanchez as well. So like he was giving me, he was emailing me and texting me tips of where to go and what spots to go Aww. to. Uh, so yeah, and it like it's it's so cool, and it's one of my favorite films of all time as well. So mm. wow. Yeah. So is it eerie? Like when you go into the woods, like because obviously in yeah. the film it is. You are, you feel it's it's terrifying when yeah. you're when you're in the woods with these characters. But in reality, are the woods that scary, or is it just like no, there's a highway just there? The woods are incredibly small. Like if you if they will in the film, they just basically walk around in circles because if you walk for five minutes, you'll hit a road. <laughs> that's it. That the, the creek that the map goes into um, is ten seconds from the actual road with cars going past. 
podcast. Yeah. So it's, it is uh, the same log, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's only one log there. Definitely the same. Gemma, when did you first see the Blair Witch? Oh my gosh, Dad, you've got such a better story of this for me. So, like, the, the Blair Witch came out when I was like ten. So I saw it a few years later with a bunch of friends. Um, who I had, there was this girl um, who I was friends with who was obsessed with this film, like to to a kind of obsessional and healthy um, <laughs> point. So um, we did this thing, like uh, British people might know this thing called Duke of Edinburgh Awards, where you go like hiking in the woods. Oh yeah. And I thought it would be a really, really, really good idea to like reenact the Blair Witch Project without telling anyone. Wow. Um, <laughs> you two are the perfect team. <laughs> oh, I was like, this is, of course you write horror movies together. <laughs> we, we just watch the films. They live them. To, to me, it was really funny. But like in retrospect, Jesus, like, I've, like I made someone cry. Like it no, was like, you know, yeah. I made like a twig thing and like put it up in the <laughs> trees <laughs> and put like like rocks outside so their tent. Did they anyone didn't, die? They didn't know. They didn't know what was going on. Or... No, no, no. <laughs> just me I decided that this was going to happen like and we did get lost you know I was meant to be the leader so like you know that's the thing I love about this film everything in it it's like this this could all just be not supernatural and that's why mm-hmm. I really like it and that's why it frightens me because it's like I could imagine that happening and just the way that human psychology gets when you're frightened and you're tired and that's why it gets under my skin uh, personally so okay. yeah. Chris so I didn't watch any horror when I was a kid because I was a scaredy cat. And then I watched every horror film when I was a teen. And then this summer, 1999, was the summer that cemented my love of the genre because 1999 is this amazing year for film, for, for American indie and the British film industry was, was, was doing good stuff. But it was the summer of Blair Witch and Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. two, two most successful horror films of all time, pretty much, yeah. at, at that time. And both brilliant in such different ways. And so, yeah, I went and saw this on my own at the cinema I couldn't understand what the fuss was about until the ending and then it completely broke me that ending and it gave me nightmares. It's one of only two films to give me nightmares as a grown-up and we might be talking about the other one on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my connection. But I tell you when I knew that this one had properly crossed over was when my dad, who's not really interested in film, said to me, have you heard about this film the people really die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Love it. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, we can go into that now. Now, a lot of my research uh, about the backstory to this movie has come from the internet. I feel you may know more knowing Eduardo Sanchez than <laughs> yeah. having lived it. Can I say where some of my research comes from? Go for it, it comes from a, a podcast called Jed Talks. <laughs> uh, it's a 90 minute interview with Eduardo Sanchez, and it's really good. Oh, oh thanks. Yeah, we'll link to it from, from the Twitter. Oh, but um, he, he's got a lot to say. He's got great stories. Apparently. Apparently, he said more on that podcast with me than he's ever said before no. about the Blair Witch. Like, mm. there's stories in there about his depression following the Blair Witch that mm. he's never mentioned before. So it's it's really yeah, interesting. It's a good, yeah, it's a good talk. Okay, well, you might be her. You might have to be our fact checker okay. on this right now and go, that, that's not true. Uh, so let me start at the very beginning. 1993, Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez are film students and they decide that they enjoy documentaries about the paranormal uh, more than they enjoy actual traditional horror movies. And they come up. It was one plan. film that pissed them off. Do you remember what the film was? The Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek. Creek. No, it's Freddy's oh. Dead. They watched Freddy's Dead wow. and they wondered why scary movies weren't scary anymore. <laughs> and Hi. having finished that movie, they sat down and said, let's do a scary one. Interesting. Which which Nightmare on Elm Street is Freddy's Dead? Is that four, five, six? Uh, so Freddy's Dead is the one where at the end there's a 3D bit where all the worms come out. 
Oh, <laughs> it's okay. weird. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It's I the got, so-called final nightmare. Uh, yeah. That didn't happen. I got as far as four. I quite enjoyed four, but after that... I Rennie Harlan did four. That's yeah. right, yeah. yes. Yeah. Is that the one with the veins where he's playing him like a puppet? That's what? three. Okay. That's three, yeah. Alex, but stop four, getting Nightmare on Elm Street, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> quickly, quickly. He's wearing a Nightmare on Elm Street oh, t-shirt. I'm wearing yeah. a Freddy t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> so they come up with this mythology of the Blair Witch, which uh, leans into the, the Salem witch trials, and they set it around the killings and disappearances of some residents of their town of Blair, Maryland, the fictional version of Burkittsville, Maryland. And these killings happened in both the 18th and 20th centuries. Residents blame these occurrences on the ghost of Ellie Kedwood, a Blair resident accused of practising witchcraft in 1785 and sentenced to death by exposure. This is where it gets fun. Uh, so they create this mythology and then they make uh, an eight minute documentary because they need to get some money to make this movie. So they make an eight minute documentary about three student filmmakers who disappeared while they were making their own documentary about the Blair Witch. And they tell these investors that these students actually did this. This is real. They have news articles that they've created and news footage they've made to back it up. And they say the tapes these students filmed are actually in existence. And the investors always say, so you've got the tapes. And they go, we'll have the tapes <laughs> if you give us a little money. Uh, and by 1996, uh, they've got some money together. They've got a, a, a 35-page screenplay as they intend most of the dialogue to be improvised by the cast. Now, here's a question for you guys, obviously, because with a lot of found footage movies, there there is a certain amount of improvisation, which yeah. I guess lends to the authenticity of the thing. So how does that work for you when you are writing these films? Yeah, um, exactly that. We we ripped off the Blair Witch Project. And turned, <laughs> it, we, we, we genuinely did. Uh, and that was our plan from the, from the start um, in terms of uh, the, the template of how to make it. Um, the Blair Witch, they have what's called a, a scriptment, which is half script, half treatment. Mostly bullet points. Do this, do this, do this, get to this place. What happens in the middle is kind of up to you. But... Um, it's that improvisation that the cast bring to it that makes it feel real and mm. authentic. And, and that's essentially what we did for Host and Dashcam. You have to have a little bit of realness in order to convince people that they're potentially out threat and this can really happen. So the casting process must be quite important in the films that you guys make because you have to find people who are capable of doing that on the fly, which isn't a yeah. skill that every actor necessarily brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're really lucky with, with Host. Um, genuinely, they're all our friends. Mm -hmm. So we have this WhatsApp group called the Quarantine Movie Club and everyone who's in that Quarantine Movie Club WhatsApp chat is, is in Host. That's it. The, the producer, uh, Rob, the director, um, me and Gemma, all of the cast, they're our friends. And they were our friends... Um, we made loads of shorts together as well. So we just stuck them all together in this in this film. And luckily, because they have that relationship with each other's friendship, it, it, you can see on screen it, it feels real, because it is. And with the amount of improvisation they were doing in Blair Witch, um, Eduardo was worried that in the heat of the horror, they were going to say an actor's name rather than a character's <laughs> name. So that's why he uses the, the actor's names for the characters. Is that the same for host? I imagine. I think that was, we just wanted to make it seem as authentic as possible. Mm, and yeah. I think that's probably why we. Oh, we again ripped off Blair Witch Project. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, that, like, and like you can see in, in, in that interview I did with Eduardo Sanchez, um, he was asking me, why did you do this? How did you do this? I can't believe you did this. And I was just like, Eduardo, we copied the Blair Witch. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how we did it. 
<laughs> and, but with the name thing, Paranormal Activity does the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's sort of a through line with all these fan footage, or the ones that work. Yeah. For us, it was mainly like the responsibility to just give them a framework that they that they can build trust in, that they yeah. had, you know, they knew what their relationship dynamic was, where the conflict was coming on, and really just like give them something, uh, you know, a track to go down so they could have that freedom. So it didn't just, you know, so it didn't just spiral and kind of go nowhere. Yeah. Um, but so they could actually have some fun within the parameters we set, basically. Yeah. So our three, uh, they were um, as immersed, let's say, in this uh, by the directors um, as uh, the investors were in the sense that each of the cast members got a a full colour brochure that had all the festivals of the fictional Blair County as though it was real. Mm. And they they included a zucchini festival. Uh, There was a smiling girl holding up an armful of zucchinis, how Heather Donoghue remembers this brochure. So this is a full immersion experiment, I guess, the filmmakers are doing. So we've got Heather Donoghue cast alongside Joshua Leonard and Michael Williams as Mike. Uh, Joshua Leonard is the only one who's still acting professionally. Uh, Mike is an acting teacher and guidance counsellor. Heather left acting in 2008 to become a medicinal marijuana grower. Oh. Yeah, hmm. that Blair Witch money. That's <laughs> that's but I've, I've seen, um, you know, there's, there's 40 hours of uh, Blair Witch material. Um, and in this documentary that, I, that I've seen, they were given cameras f- on from their journey to Burkittsville from like New York. So I've seen footage of them like on, on this coach to, to, to go to Maryland, basically, and they're filming themselves in character. So I've seen all this, almost like a prequel to the Blair Witch, them actually arriving there. And they still pretend that they know each other and stuff. And it's insane. It, that is that is kind of insane because yeah. I mean, if you've got all this footage, you you sort of wonder why why they've never sort of gone. Well, we could actually do the the prequel to this movie. I mean, they like, could like twenty like forty hours of footage cut down into what an eighty five minute movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and you know, in that forty hours of footage, you actually see the Blair Witch as well. No, no. way. Yeah. You do. What? Yeah. what? She turns and goes, "What the fuck is that?" In the woods. Yeah, yeah. You see, you see the Blair Witch oh. in it. Yeah. Oh. And I, I haven't seen all of the forty hours. I've, okay. I've seen. Like a cut down version, but I, I've kind of seen the main king. What the Blair Witch mm. was going to look like? She like dressed in white. I think I read something. No, she's no. it's all black and oh, like black the black furry animal. It's thing. quite witchy. It's okay. quite. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you expect? Well, yeah. we we can talk about um, what uh, Heather is actually screaming at because there is a real thing there yeah. in the woods, which is quite funny uh, when you hear what she's seen and also terrifying. But by 1997, they're in the woods of Maryland filming. Uh, the actors they film everything themselves. Uh, they got. Uh, notes on what they were supposed to do at various checkpoints that they found with GPS along with batteries for the equipment and ever decreasing amounts of food. So apparently this whole thing came from producer Greg Hale who had done some basic military training where enemy soldiers would hunt a trainee through the wild terrain for a few days and they applied the same technique to the cast. This is an actual quote from the directors. Uh, If we physically and mentally abuse them enough in the process of getting them up to those intense moments at the end and they'd be able to tap into emotional places that they wouldn't otherwise. We deprived them of sleep. We made them move a lot during the day. Then at the end, we slowly fed them less and less and they never knew what was happening. They were always off balance. They do say, we would never jeopardise their health or anything like that. But we broke every SAG rule possible. Yeah, oh mm-hmm. yeah he said on your podcast that, that the um, SAG overtime rules would bankrupt them now as well. Oh, yeah. 
But like when you see them in in this making of documentary, I mean they were they were up for it. It's, sure. it's not like they were like terrorized. They've never much. they've never complained about yeah. the experience. Yeah. But um, the it's money not, helps. So we've talked about this a bit lately, haven't we? Like last week, talk about ET. Like, is it better or worse than making a child cry on purpose <laughs> for the, for, for, to be in your movie? That's true. That's a good point. Mm. Yeah, Spielberg did it. Yeah. Evil. Evil. This is very Hitchcock territory, really. Isn't oh it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. He only does it to blonde girls, though. So he does it to, well, that's the thing with, with, when people do it to just women actors. Mm. It's just like, oh, but you can't get the the performance without it I'm like oh but they're actors they're man. actors like, yeah. trust them like it's, it's, mm. a bit, it's yeah. their job yeah, yeah. I, had, I had that exact question written down like I, do, I just I don't know if you're an actor and it's like just let me act yeah. I can do terrified it's like torture me. we don't yeah. trust you enough so we're going to scare the shit out of you <laughs> That that's exactly in, in these improvised uh, semi-improvised films um, the actors do sometimes uh, say that, that they'd rather act they'd rather act mm. rather than the director trying to put them into a place where where they are more susceptible to like scares and stuff but you just have to trust your actors really yeah. um yeah well the uh Sanchez and Merrick uh, call it method filmmaking. So it has a name. It has a name. Uh, so uh, they get their film made from all these 40 hours of footage. They spend eight months editing, take it to Sundance, where it becomes a surprise hit and the first movie to sell at that year's festival for just over a million dollars. And what I love is even at the festival, they're still doing this sort of guerrilla, this is real marketing, handing out leaflets to people who watch the film, asking for information on the missing students and if they could mm -hmm. contact them, oh if they find out anything about them. And, and a bootleg of it got out of Sundance and yeah. was being passed around Hollywood and they were pissed off about it. They thought this was totally working against what they were trying to achieve. And then, of course, it actually played in mm. to what this is because when they started making the film, they kind of wanted people to discover it as an unlabeled VHS and mm -hmm. just put it on. And so that was what was almost happening within Hollywood, which sort of built up the myth. So uh, very quickly, just before we get into the movie proper... Um, we should touch on this incredible marketing campaign. This is uh, this is the first time the internet was successfully used uh, to market a film. This is the first film that went viral on the internet before that was even a thing. Uh, their website basically just played this as real. Falsified police reports and uh, various other news reels about what was going on. The IMDb page in the first year of the film's release listed the actors as missing, presumed dead. <laughs> Jesus. So they went all out. Do you remember how you felt about this? Because I remember at the time going, I, I, I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure I was like, well, it is obviously not real. But I think there was a part of me that wanted to believe it was real so much because I knew that would increase my enjoyment of the film buying into this myth that they were creating. Well, it clearly had my dad concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just flabbergasted uh, at the, the, the balls of, of those guys. Like, again, they, they barely had any money to, to start with, but they just had the, the this concept to kind of make it happen. And... I, I think every other film has tried to do this in, in to some degree now. Even with Host, I don't even remember Gemma, but we we uh, kind of posited the idea that maybe the the, the Coast cast would stay off socials for like a week yes. afterwards yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. But like, <laughs> they're like, no, we're going to promote ourselves. <laughs> um, but no, it's incredible, and it's never been repeated really. But it can go wrong. Diodato 
uh, who made Cannibal mm. Holocaust, he did a similar thing yeah, around yes. that film. And I think he ended up in court he did, uh, yeah. on, on, on the murder charges because yeah. his, his actors were off traveling for a year to stay low profile. And yeah, he got prosecuted for their, their deaths. He had to bring in the actress who was, who was on that pole. Mm. Look, she's, she's alive. Dead, she's right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I think, yes, most, most apart from your dad, maybe, most of us watched that film were like, yeah, okay, I, I, they're not really missing. <laughs> but there's that element of doubt and that's all you need. It's just yeah. that like, but what if? But what if? You know, like, I think that that's how it, it succeeds yeah. uh, rather than like necessarily being convinced you know, people have actually been murdered by a witch in the woods. I think we're all like semi-interested in in the thought of a real snuff movie because none of us have actually, I think, seen a, an actual snuff movie. Mm. But um, the, just the thought of it is kind of dangerous, mm. and mm. that's kind of how it felt. Yeah, and enough to have that suspension of disbelief. Yeah, yes. that's what we're after. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, yeah. And then you watch a movie about snuff movies called 8mm and you go, actually, it's really boring. Who, who, who knew snuff movies could be boring? Uh, right, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to go through this movie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right then, let's journey through the Blair Witch Project. We'll start with section one, meet the three. Um, I think it's so incredibly efficient how this film sets up our three main characters and the relationships of them in the most minimal dialogue. For example, when Josh arrives, Heather says, oh, look, it's Mr. Punctuality. <laughs> and in that one line, you were establishing a long friendship, a relationship, enough knowledge about each other, so you're like, Bing, they're friends. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that she made that line up on the spot <laughs> because he was always late. And you're like, oh, wow. That's like a ha- happy coincidence. Yeah. And we get there. Uh, and then, of course, Mike uh, 
is the new person in the group. So we already have this interesting dynamic. Heather's in charge. Mm-hmm. Mike's sort of the reluctant new guy, just wants to do this job. He's not really invested in it. And she wants to present the footage, which is a kind of nice joke. She wants, she wants it to be as real <laughs> as possible. No cheese. The woods are scary enough. <laughs> so what do you make of these characters and how they're introduced? Because the film doesn't really go to any great lengths to make us like them. It wants them to be real people. I think that's re- I mean, it's such an interesting question because rewatching it recently, it reminded me of how little we actually know about them and their lives before this movie starts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite for us. We we when we were doing Hose, we had a similar thing. Like, how much does the audience have to know and like and care about these people before you like send them off packing to see the spookies? Um, and for Blair Witch, yeah, as you said, like all you need to do is kind of get the sense of the dynamic. And that's that's really enough. And I thought it was so brave and efficient to be able to do that. But you just get it, and that's and that's all we have. And it's yeah, yeah. And like um, again, I keep referring to this making off documentary that nobody's seen. I'm sorry, but in <laughs> this it, is the one, the one that you are the only person in the whole world <laughs> could be making. Really why, why has it not come out? Is there stuff on it they don't want out, or is there just rights issues? Or what's it's it? rights issues with, right. with artisan. Oh. But um, I think it was shown at a couple of festivals a few years ago. Um, but basically, in this documentary, which is called The Woods, um, it has a the casting process. So you see the other people in those three roles, like interacting with each Whoa. other, and how they how they kind of uh, picked pick them, and they were quite obviously the best. Mm. But like you could see some of the other uh, threesomes and what it could have been. It could have been so different. But I think the people that they picked are just so natural mm. and are so comfortable. And you have to be good at improvisation as well and, and quick quick on your feet because um, you need to be able to react to what's around you and and not panic and go out of character out of character. Um, but yeah, I think out of all of these, Heather is a real fine. It's a shame she's not acting mm. anymore because Heather's incredible. Mm. Yeah, she's I incredible. agree. I agree. And but we were also at the start of this form of storytelling. We had the real world on MTV. Sort of reality TV was just starting off. The Office was just around the corner, and so it was quite new to see people who felt real. And mm-hmm. that authenticity, I think, not only from them but from the townspeople that they meet, is is what makes this feel real. Mm. Mm. Agreed. And again, it's about trusting your audience as well. I mean, you know, you don't need to spoon feed them. I mean, like Dashcam, for example, it starts straight away. You know, and you are aware that enough people are aware of what streaming is right now, of yeah. how that show would work. You don't need to labour the point. It's just like, yeah, we get it. Let's get into this. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, section two, legend building. We are quite literally bamboozled with information <laughs> at the start of this movie. Um, there's the original legend of the witch, Ellie Kedward, uh, tried for witchcraft. There's the 1940s child murderer, Rustin Parr, who made one kid stand in the corner while murdering the other. There's the remains found at Coffin Rock, which I don't know which legend they're attached <laughs> to. I think it's really clever. Because it's meant to be confusing because it just it throws so much at you that it knows you can't retain it all. So as the audience, you are as confused as the characters about what on earth is actually happening, who the villain is, what, what yeah, it's it's the ambiguity that makes this film so scary. And the key piece of information comes from a young guy who you don't really trust. He's some dude. Yeah. And he's the one that tells the story about the basement. <laughs> and that's obviously the most important bit of information for the ending of the movie. And that's something that the first time I watched it, I just set to one side. No, it's this other stuff. The coffin rock thing is, or the, 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 the hermit or the witch. This is the important stuff. But it was that bit. But they just sort of chucked it away and trusted that you would remember it at the end. It would flash mm. up in your brain. Yeah. That's such an interesting point, Alex, about just the amount of information they throw at you because it, it, it is overwhelming. And it's, 
it kind of like just puts question marks in your head like what's been going on in this place that's so many weird supernatural mm. things have happened in this one place and having having gone to coffin rock and seen it for real and it's just a place where kids go to smoke weed now <laughs> um it's it's just so interesting, and if you dive into the to the to the books and the other material that surrounds the Blair Witch, you find out loads more about these various different legends and how big this world is that they've created. It's unlike any other film I've, I've ever seen. For such as a small film, the the amount of mythology around it is is enormous. But how much did they actually create? And was it just people cashing in, uh, the film company cashing in after the fact? Like, were, were Edward, Eduardo and Daniel involved in those spin-offs? Or? Yes, um, to, to certain degrees. But mm. I think when they interview people in the street, they've woven in some of those stories. And, and obviously people know that um, alongside the Blair Witch came a Discovery Channel a documentary called the Curse of the Blair Witch, mm. which was a little bit more information to world build. And there were like things like uh, there was like a computer game or an online thing. There's loads of videos on the website as well about Rustin Parr. Um, yeah, they were very much into the world building straight away. Um, but one of the most interesting things that came out is around the time of the Blair Witch was Heather Donahue's diaries, which was like an online thing. I don't know if, if you guys seen that, oh, but yeah. it, in those diaries, she knew full well that something might happen in the forest. She knew about the Blair Witch. So it when she says in the film that it's her fault, it genuinely is her fault because mm-hmm. she's brought these other two people into the forest knowing full well that stuff's going to kick off. I'm so pleased you mentioned Ooh. that, Jed, because yeah. we, we can get into this. I'm going to touch on them, and these aren't my theories. These are theories that have done the rounds on the Excellent. internet. Some of them are good, some of them not so good, but we'll, we'll talk about them as they, we come to them. But you're right, that bit with um, the kid who talks about the children in the cell are facing yeah. in the corner, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that was added in later because the original ending was even more ambiguous in right. so much as he was in the corner, but there was never any mention of that earlier. Yeah. So after the film was finished and bought by Artisan, mm-hmm. they put that big... That, that, they did that. That would be nothing to me if they hadn't done that. Yeah. yeah. And how about this one moment? Because uh, the, 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 there's a mixture of actors uh, who are planted in the town who uh, the filmmakers come across, the students come across, but they didn't know they were actors, yeah. as well as genuine townspeople. Yeah. That woman they meet who's got the kid, and when she starts talking... Talking about, she's holding a baby, and she's like, she's like, so yeah, this is what happened at, at Coffin Rock, and the kid just goes, no, 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 yeah, complete accident. Amazing. I mean, what a gift that is. So I don't know if you guys seen online, but I, I, I hung out with that mother and daughter, what? And, and, <laughs> and I carried the daughter, like she's like in her twenties now, I, and I, I took a picture with that daughter, like putting her hand she's over going, my no, face. She's, yeah, she's, she's also saying no because I just lifted her up. Um, but they, they couldn't be more pleased to. T- Tell us about the experience. At, um, but what's the story there then? Because it it really does feel like that kid knows something. Does she remember? Does she? Remember? She doesn't remember. No, no. no. But the, uh, her mother in that was she just made it all up on the spot. You know how I yeah. I, I do think it is an American thing. Like some mm. Americans like just sort of go, yeah, all right, okay, cool, yeah, and, and they just like will just sort of reel off. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, the Blair Witch. Yeah, and they yeah. just start talking, and she just made all that up That's on the amazing. spot. Yeah, I mean they kind of pointed her in, in in a certain direction, and then she riffed off it. But like it's gold finding yeah. those characters, mm. real life characters, and the fisherman as well at, at Coffin Rock. Oh. He's such a character. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one quick theory. Theory number one, the townsfolk done it. There's an uh, a theory online that the townsfolk oh. are responsible for perpetuating this Blair Witch myth right. for money because of the tourism it brings in. And so that's why they're also eager to help the kids at the start, because they want to build this myth and scare the kids. And then the footage will perpetuate the myth of the Blair Witch and they'll make more money. But they did kill them in the woods. 
The, town, the townsfolk that. kill them in the woods yeah. to keep it going. Yeah. Or like specifically the fishermen. Or... Possibly, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that fisherman. That's, oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Uh, we can't not mention Mary Brown as mm. well, uh, played oh, by Patricia Decoux. Uh, she applied to be an intern uh, on the film and they obviously put her in as Mary Brown. Uh, they shot that Talking Heads moment at her house. The gate being made of the same twigs as the twig men yeah. later was uh, completely by chance that her gate was made like that. <laughs> Theory number two, Mary Brown killed them. That's more realistic um, because she's kind of witchy in the, mm. in, in the first place, and and I think it, again, it's just just solid gold that they came across this woman who fits into the story so well, and just the way she talks is quite sinister. Um, I, I could believe that. It'd be too obvious, though, wouldn't it? It would. It would. I think it's a bit. Of, We've set this woman up as a witch, and she's the witch. <laughs> but I think what's nice here is it leans into that uh, that horror movie trope of these kids are really dismissive of her mm. because they uh, oh she's a lunatic. Yeah. She thinks she's great. All of this, that that classic thing of like, uh oh, don't start <laughs> diminishing the locals. Yep, that never ends well. So section three, into the woods we go. Our trio set off, and like you said, the the very last people they meet, the last mm-hmm. humans they meet uh, before they go into the woods are the two fishermen, who kind of act as that like last gas station attendant yeah. in exactly. in horror movies. Yeah. You know, I think one of them even goes, "Fool kids never learn." And yeah, <laughs> I met him. I met him. He said no that. Way, to- no way! <laughs> and he said that to me as we left as well. It, oh. No joke, he did. It's so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. I would. That would scare the shit out of me because I wouldn't know. Is he doing it because he knows I like it, or is he genuinely like, "Here we go again"? <laughs> yeah, they're back. Um, no, he he was really nice. He 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 makes clocks and stuff in in Burkittsville. He's a he's a real like hand handyman, and uh, yeah, he's he's incredible. Can I ask you a question, Jed? Yeah. Primed with all of these people trying to spook you. Yeah. Did any? Did you get spooked? I know you don't believe in ghosts. I know, but did was there a moment where you were like, actually, I feel a little bit uneasy, like out there? Well, we th- there were trees in Burkittsville that did have the the Blair Witch kind of, of course, yeah. uh, men in it, but obviously that's kind of a t- for tourism. Uh, did you I'm camp guessing. overnight? In the woods, we stayed. We stayed in in an Airbnb nearby, okay. but, <laughs> but I wanted to stay in the woods. But I just thought no, because okay, yeah, some Airbnbs are scary. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> in the woods. So uh, again, I love what the fishermen say. It's just, like I said, this ambiguity. They they describe her as a white mist rising out of the water. So we've really no idea what the mm. witch may look like if she indeed exists at all. Right then, uh, funnily enough, considering how woods the, uh, the woods are so small, apparently the actors did manage to get lost by accident on day one of the shoot. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, Daniel Merrick says, I figured at that time we were boned. They just got lost <laughs> off the road. We were screwed. Wow. So uh, they find seven piles of rocks. Scary this? Is this scary at this point? There's seven piles of rocks or are we still warming up? We're still warming. We're warming. Doesn't yeah. he, not, he knocks over one though, so that's a bit of a... Uh-huh, ooh, ominous. Has he done the... You know, there's always a thing that the the characters do in horror movies that where they deserve what their fate. It's they the transgression. Break a rule. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you do, the... don't knock over that pile of rocks. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. So this is... I don't think it's Heather's thought, fault, anything that happens. I know you're like, yes, it's Heather, but for yeah. me, it's just like... I don't know. She she trust she respected those rocks, so mm, that's that's interesting. But I think this is just like general kind of uh, folk horror 
uh, mm. kind of stuff. It, it's it's very ambiguous as to kind of the the, the mythology. It's it's kind of a, a question mark. Um, so at, at this point, I don't think there's anything to read in into it. I can't remember if the Although, are there seven. I can't remember. I should have seven, seven, seven kids. Seven dead right. Kids. Okay. Yeah, the seven se- kids. Then there's oh, don't don't want to jump ahead. Yeah. No, it's fine. Yeah. No, that's good. You're absolutely right. So seven rocks, seven dead kids, and then later three piles of rocks. The three of them outside yeah, yeah, their yeah. tent. Mm. So it's like oh, not clock that. So, oh, so by kicking over one of the rocks, he's kicking over one of the dead kids. Is it kids. like a warning, like trap mm. or something? Like, oh, there's someone in the woods. Let's go murder them. Well, then surely <laughs> like, that seventh dead kid should come after them. That's what that's. Well, what maybe it does because the witch doesn't kill people herself. She gets other people to kill them for that's her. True. That's so true. there we go. But, yeah, yeah, she possessed Rustin mm. Parr and he killed the kids. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Oh God, that standing in the corner stuff. That <sighs> that gets under my skin. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Section four, there's something out there. Um, They get terrorised in the night uh, by some sounds, which are great because they're indistinguishable. Like You don't know what they are. And that again, this ambiguity, I keep saying it, but it's like you can't make out exactly what these noises are. Um, and we get a nice deliverance reference. Obviously, they're clinging on to the logic at the moment. There's just some townsfolk messing with them. Yeah. Messing with them. And this is where the group first starts to fracture. So Heather pretends to know where they are a lot. Mike doesn't believe her. He's angry. Even laid back Josh starting to get slightly annoyed. I watched this and I think I would be annoyed with Heather as well. Yes. I, I, I think I think it's, I, again, I think she's fantastic in the movie, but I do think that constant, like, I know where we're going. And yeah. you're like, I don't think you do. She's, she's like, no, 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 no. Exactly. Yeah. But watching it this time, I wondered if Heather does know where she's going and there's something happening in the forest that's disorienting her. Mm. She's doing the right thing, but there's mm. something out of her control that's happening with the compass and with them. They could be going the right direction, but whatever's happening is sending them in the wrong direction each time. And that's why they go in that circle without realising for all that time. So I was wondering if mm. maybe it isn't her fault. Like I'm on, I, on your side I here. I maybe agree. it isn't her fault. Because doesn't she have like a book in her backpack that she brings with her? Like she's clearly like where it's about like survival, how to survive in the woods. Yeah. Like she's done her research. Mm. She's not an idiot. You know, you think she. So maybe I'd like to think that it's the woods messing with them. Or maybe just even psychologically, like that something's going on. I don't know. I've got theories about Heather. Okay. That run into the other Blair Witch films as well. Right. Okay, good. Because yeah. I was going to say, now I haven't seen the 2016 uh, sequel slash okay. reversion. Now, apparently in that, it does lean into the idea that the witch can like mess with time and yes. space. And so I guess that then leans into the idea. There is one theory, I'll do it now because it's crazy, that the witch has transported them back to 1940 and they are actually oh. no longer in the present day. And it is Rustin Parr who is still there wow. doing his murders. Mm. That That's interesting. I didn't know that theory. Yeah, it makes sense because when, when you watch a 2016 film, there is like time loops and, and, and time shifts and stuff. So that, that would kind of make sense. Okay, well, sure. we'll do more theories as we go on. Uh, more scary noises in the night. Someone suggests it could be deer. It's not deer. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) uh, apparently when they put those three piles of rocks because the whole thing as I said at the start is like the filmmakers trying not to interfere they wanted to leave the cast on their own Yeah. Uh, apparently the code word was taco which meant (laughs) which meant stop don't come out of the tent because we've woken you up putting rocks outside we want you to discover them in the morning hold on they didn't have much food they were hungry and they're shouting taco at them (laughs) yeah piss off (laughs) (laughs) so uh, this is where annoyance builds into mistrust in the group because Heather loses the map and Mike genuinely seems to believe 
she's saying that because she wants to stay out there. She doesn't want to go home. She wants to get as much footage as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's great. The bit where Heather keeps saying, like, you do feel, I think you've been in that situation. We've all been in a situation where you something weird has happened and you refuse to believe that it's happened. And she's mm -hmm. going, you've, mm -hmm. you know, you've got the map, guys. I know, stop messing with you. Yeah. And the panic, like, like buried in her voice when she really wants one of them to go, yeah, we got the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. So you only like that bit because it's exactly what you would do is hide the map for, <laughs> for a bit longer than it's actually funny. Yeah. Like, Chris, honestly, I really don't have the map. Like, it's gone. We're, we're screwed. That's just your thing. <laughs> well, let's do section five. Why would you do that? <laughs> this is, I, I, to be honest, I had forgotten this uh, since the last time I watched it. This is just the oddest sort of plot development in the whole thing where Mike, who is desperate to get home mm -hmm. has kicked the map into the creek the day before go, yeah. because he says it's useless. Yeah. Thoughts. So there's lots of, there's several theories here, isn't there? Like mm -hmm. one is, is the Blair Witch in already in his head? Is it, you know, is she making him act strangely? Has he, you know, does he say that, you know, it's not true? Does he just say that because he's just so pissed off and like, whatever, like, let's stop looking for the map and things like that. Let's move on. Um, or has something happened, you know, in a kind of Ray Mears survival way, mm. have they actually all gone a little bit off their nutter? In, yeah. Like, you know, because that happens when you're exhausted and mm -hmm. you're angry and they're lack not Lack of thinking. water, lack of food. Yeah, like, you know, I like to read it like this is a survival film gone yeah. wrong kind of thing and like, everything makes sense apart from maybe like the blood. But like, so... Or, or is Heather, you know, potentially doing what I did to my mates? And is, <laughs> is she like, and she wants to like, you know, make a like a meta, meta, meta film, um, and she's doing all this. I'm not sure. Oh, I think that's the only point in the Blair Witch where I'm just like, okay, that's a little bit sus. That genuinely wouldn't happen. Mm. Um, there's, there's no real reason for him to like kick it into the in, into the creek because it goes against his character yes, so far. 100%. This is the, he's the one who is so desperate to get yeah. back, and it's an interesting one because, as we said at the start, the filmmakers basically left instructions, individual instructions for the actors. So they have an individual packet that they'd open, and I think I'm right in saying yes. it would tell them individually what their motivation was, what the big thing that they did that day. And it, they, Mike's was, you are the one who has lost the map. You've got rid of the map. Do with that what you will. And yep. he then improvises, I kicked it into the creek. So he came up with that on the spot. And when you start to hear that, you go... Well, there really is no rhyme and reason. He was just improvising it. Yeah. It doesn't fit into a bigger picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting. But it almost because it's so bizarre and left field, it feels real because mm -hmm. real life isn't exactly yeah. like like uh, you know, A to B. So and would, the, would the map have saved them? No. Or it's they'd be on the point of no return. They're sort of in the wilderness now. They're in the Blair Witch's world. So I don't even know if the map matters. I do think it's interesting the line that came before where Heather says it's very hard to get lost in America these days and it's even harder to stay lost. And I think this is sort of a glimpse at this ego and their hubris that's ultimately going to be their downfall a little bit as well yeah. by thinking they can mess with whatever this is. Well, the genius thing about this film is in that first title card, it tells you they're not going to make it out of these, these woods. <laughs> yeah. So you know something bad's going to happen. Mm. So that's the genius of this film. They tell you the ending at the start and you're just like, you're waiting for it to happen, which is why the tension builds mm. and builds mm. and builds. And where's it going to come from? Is it going to be the misty person? Is yeah. It, the furry person? <laughs> but furry woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to hear my, this is this is my favourite theory. This is uh, one of the most popular theories. Okay. And I, I tend to lean into this. It's that Josh and Mike 
have lured Heather into the woods to kill her. And they are members of some cult. And this has all been part of their plan all along to murder Heather and get away with it by having this orchestrated footage and this ambiguous footage. And the evidence for this theory points to the fact that Mike and Josh are often walking ahead separately to Heather. They are the ones who get rid of the map. At one point, Heather says... You're having too much fun for my liking. And they are sort of laughing and joking at one point while she's more more nervous. Uh, Mike, this is where it starts to get a little bit shaky. Uh, Mike, as the sound technician, could create the cackling in the wood at night. And uh, finally, Heather wisely insists that they walk in a single direction to find their way back to civilization. But Mike and Josh are the ones who overrule her. Mm. That's right. And they lead her to the house at the end. Yep. And you don't see either of them die. Nope. Well, this is why I've got a problem with it being Heather's fault. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yes, she was like, I really want to make this film. Like, forget about, like, what we know about things that happened after the movie and what's been written. Like, taking the movie as it is. Which I think we have to. Yep. Yeah. Like, she just wants to make a film. She doesn't really believe any of these things as far as we know at this point, you know. I I think she does believe in the Blair Witch and that it's... I think she knows there's something supernatural going on. Yeah, but she's not expecting to go into the woods and like and potentially it. die. And yeah, see, yeah, yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. So she, she's just, you know, she's her 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 hubris, her 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 floor is that like just stop shooting, like and like you know takes you know safety properly. Um, but like, and she does this thing where she really apologizes, and there's something that doesn't happen in the film that we're going to talk about in a minute, where the the the, the per- perpetrator does never apologizes, but she does. I don't know if she's really responsible for like all you know. She didn't kick the map into the thing, as far as we know. She doesn't go to the to the woods. Like I mean, it's it's the guys who lose their shit. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like her, her crimes are being curious yeah. and and keeping the camera in her hand. And also, yeah. I, I forgave her a lot when because I'd forgotten the line because it's almost a, an incidental line where she explains why she's filming constantly because it it makes everything unreal. So by mm-hmm. watching it through the camera, she doesn't feel like yeah. she's in such a terrifying situation. Mm. And I really I really get that. And that makes me go. That makes a lot of sense for you know why you are you know is, yeah. I forgot that line it. as well that's yeah. so interesting that especially in the, in the 2016 film that comes into play again like that that particular like th- she, uh, theory she's watching the world through a filter which is how yeah. a lot of people seem to be living their lives these days as mm-hmm. well it feels mm-hmm. like it's quite pressing in that way where if it's not on your Instagram or your, your TikTok or whatever it's not really happening yeah yeah. Um, survival technique for sure but she but it helps her she, it helps her like to keep her cool where everyone else is literally like screaming and shrieking and getting angry she's just I think she's the calmest well, of the yeah. when I'm they sure. discover the, the stick people and shortly mm. after that it, I mean it's an effective moment where Mike is yeah. just shouting into nothing help <laughs> us <Yeah. laughs> and she's saying please I've just got to get this on 16 yeah. <laughs> she, she does to, to be fair she does you know the question is always why don't you just put the camera down in, in found footage film but I feel like they do justify it well enough mm. most of the way through this in a way that it, 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 it didn't bother me they don't know they're going to die they think they're mm. going to get out of it so like yeah. in the back of her head Heather's like won't this be amazing when we get yeah. out of here and we'll have this footage and I, I... this is going to play at Fright Fest yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well, well Gemma knows like, that, that the hardest thing in the world is is finding excuses for your, for your characters to still oh, be holding yeah. the camera in fan <laughs> footage films so like that's why why has Annie still got her camera on when like a demon's chasing her um, 
Yeah, that so, works with Annie, doesn't it? Because she yeah. is, she's kind of nuts yes. anyway. Yeah. So mm. she is the kind of person that would go, fuck, I'm going to film a demon. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, but in, in, and in Host, we, we thought of, of ways as well. But yeah, in, in the Blair Witch Project, it's because it's their school project and she's very studious. She wants to get a good grade and she mm. feels like if she sees this through films everything, then um, she'll get a good grade. Another line she says a bit later is I want to go home but I just want to get what we can. Yeah. Mm. Is this film about the creative process slowly killing you? <laughs> wow. As two, as two people have, yeah. <laughs> the, interest, the interesting thing is does she die at the end though? Mm. Um, because I don't think she does. Oh. We've got, so yeah. we, we, we can talk about this because okay. I think you're leaning into one particular theory. Okay. Um, well, first of all, we'll do section six. Oh my God, what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, Best line of the film. <laughs> scariest night yet though. Uh, she, uh, they hear children's voices oh, outside the tent. Uh, the guy who plays Mike, Mike Williams says this was his most terrifying moment during filming. They obviously, again, didn't know it was going to happen. The directors put speakers oh. around the tent and played. It was um, Eduardo's neighbours. They recorded their, his neighbour's kids reading, playing, talking gibberish. They played it outside the tent. No one knew what was going to happen. And yeah, it's scary. They run off screaming. What does she see, Alex? I need to know this. <laughs> so uh, she sees art director Ricardo Moreno mm-hmm. dressed in white long johns with white pantyhose pulled over his head running alongside them in the woods. <laughs> That's Amazing. right. Yeah. That would scare the shit out of me. <laughs> Can you imagine? If you don't think you're going to see anyone, you've never seen anyone for the shoot, and suddenly you're, you're running, and then there's this thing, like a white blob, like oh running God. alongside Pantaloons. <laughs> and, and you also had, at the same time, uh, uh, the, the filmmakers all dressed in... in uh, in kind of uh, camouflage as well in the trees as well like banging things and shaking trees at the same time she yeah. sells it she does that's yeah. my favourite scene in the entire film I think Oh yeah, really? I could just imagine happening to me <laughs> well. <laughs> that's the type of shit that would happen what the come for you a man in things. white long johns with white pantyhose pulled over his head is following you through the woods I've done a lot of camping <laughs> shit, shit happens because well, that's interesting actually because this, this I've, done, I've done some camping yeah. as well and the bit like I'm sure it's 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 most people who's been camping one of their fears is the idea hearing something outside your tent mm. is one thing but it's when something pushes the actual canvas mm. and there's a there, there is actually a physical thing outside the, and this Oof. happens at this point in the movie something presses against the tent which is when they run out screaming that's the thing because it's just like you're in this cocoon it's just like this millimeter thick canvas uh-huh. but like there's a part of you the child in you it's just like if it, if it can't see me I'm safe yeah. Um, but then there's that also aspect of like Jesus Christ. Like when they run, they run out. Like mm-hmm. I, it, I can just, I, I, you're in there. I'm, I'm like literally in the tent with them. And you can yeah. just imagine like, what would I do in that situation? Would you like stay in the tent? Would you run? And that's why it like, I yeah. think it's so effective because you're there, you're all thinking that. It's one of those childhood things where if you think yeah. there's a monster in your room, you put your yeah. duvet over your head and exactly. as long as you don't poke your feet out or like look, you'll be safe. Yeah. <laughs> because you do, you feel like, well, I'm in, I'm in my property so yeah. no one would yeah. invade my property this is my little house yeah, exactly. and like you, like, but at the same time you are like it's like you, there's nothing between you and anything dangerous outside yeah, yeah. Like, I mean I've been camping where there have been animals outside or what I thought it might have been Blair Witch I don't know <laughs> I suspect <laughs> but like, I've, been, I've been camping where like um, my fire has come back on mysteriously and then it's always oh. like 
was that because I didn't put it out properly or someone's trying to lure me outside? Like your mind goes to places when you're like <laughs> like away from every other human because it's like every noise, what does it mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Big camper, Chris, do you ever go camping? I like a bit of camping. You yeah. like a bit of camping? Yeah. Do you ever get scared? For a hotel. <laughs> yeah. They got to a point where I used to like camp at festivals a lot and then mm. I was just like, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just find a hotel or an Airbnb nearby. Yeah. I'd say campsites, particularly Reading Festival, oh is one God. of the scariest places I've I've ever been and you're surrounded by people and that's why it's scary because they're people who are at Reading Festival <laughs> the, sun, the Sunday at Reading is is, is, oh. is like a war zone I remember the last time I camped at Reading on Sunday a bag of human feces was flung at my tent and it just went all up the side I just oh thanks oh, just human shit down one side of my, my tent I'm like, but that's okay. a good good tip for, for festival camping do camp uh, near the toilet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never camp near the toilets. Jesus when you go to Glastonbury and you see people who've pitched their tents near the portal oh, on the first day what are you no. thinking Have you, do you know how this works yeah. you, are, you, are, you are literally sleeping in shit yeah. for the next two nights it becomes a river of shit that oh, goes yeah. towards you and your food and your, and your, your friends but you're right Sunday at Reading so I, I think I, it was the year Metallica headlined so literally yeah. All the Metallica fans, they were headlining on Sunday and they got down there to the front. Uh, like from the from the first the moment they opened, they just stood there. And every band that came on that wasn't Metallica, they hated. And I remember Good Charlotte uh, came on. I remember and that year. People were randomly throwing the old bottle of piss because yeah. everyone comes armed to Reading with a bottle of piss. <laughs> and they were throwing the old bottle of piss. And, and then Good Charlotte, they sort of had enough. They were like, look, if you think you're going to be able to hit us, why don't you all throw it once? Oh. I'll count to three. In my head, they'd basically gone, they don't have many left. <laughs> he went one, two, three. It was like the start of Gladiator. <laughs> the, the number of bottles of piss that like took to the air in one moment and headed for the stage was just immense. And like they just had, all the band were hiding behind the drum Love kit. Oh. Oh. It happened to Daphne and Celeste Daphne as well. Celeste. Yeah. I was thinking that. Who was it? Daphne and Celeste. Yeah. Yeah. Poor girls. Yeah. The Rasmus. I think the Rasmus cut their set short because someone threw a firework on stage, oh, which geez. is actually dangerous. 50 Cent did about 15 minutes. And then, like, he literally did as long as he had to. To get paid and in the middle of a song he just stopped and walked off <laughs> he was like I've been paid now I'm going so uh, yeah oh, Reading Festival great days <laughs> section 7 he slimed me uh, this is where things get really weird all Josh's stuff is covered in slime uh, and it's after this final night that Josh finally snaps quite effective when Josh snaps because he has been sort of the voice of reason to a certain extent and when he screams at Heather mm -hmm. it feels very real uh, theory number, I forget now, let's call it six. Uh, Josh, at this point, is possessed mm. by either wow. Rustin Parr or the Blair Witch, and that's why he's lost his mind. He is surprisingly cruel there, mm. and it's mm. tough to watch. Um, again, we're justifying why she's got the camera. She says, it's all I fucking have left, okay? Mm. Um, that is a tough scene to watch. It is. <laughs> they're, bl they're blooming good actors, aren't they? They are. In this film. And uh, apparently, and again, I haven't seen the forty hours of of the of the rest of the footage, but they a lot of it is arguing mm. uh, between Josh and, and Heather. Well, like before uh, before that moment, throughout the entire thing, it's just arguments. Yeah, I do wonder. That yeah. was one of the things I wanted to know more about. Was like, what was their dynamic? Mm. Because the power dynamic between them before this film happened, I wanted to yeah. know a little bit more about. Like, you know, are they just like that usually well I think there's a thing in, in especially in fan footage movies like the actors because they're given a lot of space they want to deliver so that maybe mm. they go they, they try to create conflict in order mm. to please the director um, where 
has like maybe been a little bit more subtle, it works mm-hmm. better because it's more realistic. I, don't know. I think mostly when you're 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 acting in sort of your your, your, your traditional film, you are required to act for however long that scene yeah. takes, and then you go back to your trailer or wherever you know the canteen, <laughs> and then you're back on. Here, you are on twenty four seven. As long yeah. as you are filming, you are on, and you cannot keep like up a performance for that long. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's. I guess it starts to break down, and reality, especially when your filmmakers are, are starving you, <laughs> that uh, that you get these very real performances because people are at their wits' end at this mm-hmm. point, and they yeah. can't perform. They're being very real. So uh, on the night, how about this? On the night Josh disappears, uh, Josh, as far as Mike and Heather were concerned genuinely vanished in the night. Uh, He waited for them to fall asleep. He was told to wait for them to fall asleep, snuck out of the tent, and they woke up to find him missing. Oh, my God. And that was that. That's so cool. That is so cool. I'd be so freaked out. Because do you you think that, because they also had a code word to to stop it, so if if, if it was taco. Taco! Taco! Do you you think they did that when, when, or did because, I mean, there's a possibility that in the night, you're in the middle of the woods, that someone could come and kill you, like just a, a random. Did they begin to have that possibility in the back of their head that something's going oh, wrong? Wow. You know? I think well, you would. Eduardo said uh, in an interview with you that yeah. in the original script, it's Mike that disappears. Yes. Ooh. But over the course of this shoot, it changed, they shifted it to Josh. Do you know yeah. why? Um, no, he didn't, he didn't elaborate. And I, 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 I think it's the dynamic. He, he wants to keep the dynamic... Uh, the most interesting dynamic together, maybe potentially, but yeah. in, in host because they don't know each other because yeah. Mike's mm. the new one and Heather doesn't know him. At least yes. she'd have a handle on Josh, whereas yes. she's left with the guy who's been freaking out a lot from yeah. the start. Did you try to keep the order that your actors would get killed in in host from them, or did they know from the word go? Oh, I don't. I don't know if I should be saying this, but like the entire time we were shooting it. Um, oh, I, I guess we didn't really know what order they were going to die in because we could have put it in any order. But I had Emma texting me every five minutes, Jed, don't make me die first. Whatever you do, don't make me die first. And, and genuinely, in the writing process, she was like, Jed, whatever you do, don't make me die first. We, if you notice in host, she has about four times where she could die because we, we keep moving the goalposts. We go, okay, so Emma dies towards the end. But then we realise Emma is so emotive um, when she's like scared it's good to keep her in it because she's the kind of the eyes of the audience. Mm. She plays the audience. So keeping her in it for a little bit longer meant the film film was better. And I was just watching an interview with Ken Loach yesterday and yeah. that's what he does in his films when, yeah. when characters have been killed in his films. He doesn't, he likes the actors to react on set rather than prepare to react for yeah. it. And so the actors around the person who's being killed don't know and the person themselves, Killian Murphy was saying when it shakes the barley and then previous stuff he's well, done well yeah. that's true in, in host where the other actors didn't know how each other were going to die yes. that was kept a secret from each other they was redacted in the script yeah and then we're witnessing it as we were witnessing it Emma didn't know Teddy would be set on fire basically so her her reaction screaming seeing her friend being set on fire she didn't know that was going to happen so, so, so her fear is real fear so you guys are doing it as well. You're just yeah, as bad as this lot. You are. Yeah, but they got a hot meal after each take in host. That was the. <laughs> I mean, that to make it themselves, but yeah, they had to. <laughs> the in their houses. Uh, so when uh, quite uh, funny uh, when Heather uh, finds the uh, twigs with uh, Josh's teeth in some real teeth that they borrowed from Eduardo's dentist. Uh, I say borrowed. I'm not sure if he wanted them back. Uh, when she finds that initially, um, she picked it up and just chucked it away. And they, they filmed had to be stopped that was one of the few moments where they came in and went no 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 no. you have to open it it's yeah. really good it's kind of a good moment because she just sort of went no 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 I mean that moved on I checked Wikipedia there because it's hard to make out exactly what is in that bundle yeah. Wikipedia yeah. claims tooth finger hair and tongue 
Mm. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't. I didn't catch all that. But Again, I think it's the ambiguity. No, it's great. A fleshy yeah. mass. It, and it, I mean, you would have just seen it quit in the cinema. Even if you pause it now at home on Blu-ray, like I did, you cannot see. It. It's just this bloody congealed mess. Mm. Yeah, it's just a reaction that makes you horrified. But mm. just just with the stick figures again in this documentary that no one's seen but me. There's one bit where the <laughs> art director he's just fiddling about with twigs, and I think it's Eduardo Sanchez that, that goes to him. What are you doing there? And he's like, I'm just putting this like thing together. He's like, Oh, that look, kind of looks cool. And it's the it's the twig man. Like it, it just it was just something that the art director just decided wow. to do like on on the spot. Yeah, because none of the people in the town. I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, but none of them mention the twigs, do they? Yeah. No, no, so no. So that no. was something. I was like, well, this isn't even in the mythology. So how does yeah? Yeah, but then. If you in a 2016 film, they kind of retroactively oh, put it into yeah, the mythology that it means something, yeah. So it's time for your Heather theory, Jed, because we're going to section <laughs> eight. Okay. The confession. Yeah. So as you touched on earlier, when she's sort of saying it's it's all my fault mm-hmm. um, and sort of taking the blame. Initially, you're like, okay, she's taking the blame for them getting lost in the woods, but there could be more to this than that, what she's actually taking the blame for. And you mentioned her diaries, her her journals, which were on the website, and there were lines in that, uh, for example, she says, she writes in these these journal pages, which you can find, I can't explain the kinship I feel to her, talking about Mm -hmm. the Blair Witch. I I cannot see how she could avoid perceiving the energy I am sending her way mm-hmm. and have been for two years now. Yeah. But if they want us to be worried about that, that should be in the film if they want us to be that's, thinking that's about that, I think. conning it, isn't it? Well, the, I think these pages were released uh, as part of the promotion. Right. Yeah. Sure, yeah. but it's not in the film. I think right. if it's extraneous information, I don't think we, sh- we should read into it too much if we're analysing the film. I, but then... What's their intention? Yeah. Yeah, what? and again, if you, if you treat... I mean, I don't treat Blair Witch 2 as, as canon, really, but like no. 2016 film, I, I do. And and again, spoilers for, for the Blair Witch 2016 if anyone um, is interested. But I believe at the end, I'm sorry, Alex, like you haven't seen it, but I believe no, it's that fine. Go for it. at the end, there's what you think is the Blair Witch coming after the, the lead. And the whole thing is about the brother of Heather going to Burkittsville to find his sister because he's seen a video of her sister in like in the woods. And I believe that what you think is the Blair Witch isn't the Blair Witch, it's Heather. Heather has been, um, she's been changed um, by her time inside that house and she has become this kind of creature. Mm. Um, and maybe it's the the kind of, she's possessed by the Blair Witch, but everyone thinks it's the Blair Witch, but I believe it's Heather. And I think Heather is reaching her f- her final form. It's what she wanted from the start. She wanted to be part of this mythology. She was so into it, but more than anyone else. And she maybe needed these sacrifices along the way in order to become this this person and the stick figures that's kind of what she looks like at the end of the film um, oh my god it's creepy I hope someone's listening to this in the dark in that room. <laughs> yeah. the way you just told that story was petrifying yeah and, and also um, the only way that she can't kill you is if you look through a camera lens so like it's interesting as long as you don't, as long as you stand in the corner and you look through your the viewfinder of the camera you can see her coming behind you but she can't get you unless you look at like her the basilisk kind yeah. of thing Ooh, so what's like she what's she apologising for here then because isn't she getting what she wants um, I think she's apologising just because it, it's almost inevitable that she has to have uh, like, again, it, it, the mythology is quite ambiguous, but mm. I think she needs, and every person that this witch or this evil entity has possessed has had to kill a bunch of people in order mm. to, 
and either satisfy something deeper and darker. Because again, in the mythology, it's like the it's like the land that's evil. It's like something inherent in in the land that possesses these people to do to do something. So maybe um, it's the last vestiges of Heather's sort of moral human self, yeah. like sort of clinging on to the fact that she has some inherent guilt in killing Josh, in killing Mike, and what she's yeah. going to have done because she believes in this mythology. And this is the last sort of this is the last glimpse we sort of get of her like her moral. Like Compass going, I'm sorry for what I've done to the families, but yeah. fuck yes, I'm the Blair Witch. Exactly. <laughs> but if I'm watching this scene and I'm not thinking that Heather, uh, what's about to come in, in the 2016 film and that Heather wants this and is responsible for this, it's a, I think it's an incredibly moving scene. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it's what makes this movie, I think, knowing that you're watching someone about to die. Yeah. They know they're about to die. You're know they're, you know they're about to die. And it's just incredibly moving. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, it should be a redemption moment, but alas, mm. you know, you still it, they can't be saved. But yeah. this is so. I mean, just going back to this theory, like I, I appreciate that maybe that's true. I don't know what a word. Oh, I don't says. know if it's true. I don't well, know like, if it's yeah, true or not. Like, but I still, I still think mm. that all of these theories, like, can have an element of truth in them. Like, there's mm-hmm. not just one fit all theory. Like, yeah. I think you know, there is an. I believe that all of there is a version where all of the actors making this film. Kind of yeah, went a bit loopy in the woods. Yes, they were tired, but there, there's also this sort of sub, almost subconscious thing where you're sort of leaning into it. Like maybe one of them, whether it's Heather or Josh, and I think it would probably be Heather because she's the one who really wants to make this film. Might be doing what I did to my friends when mm. we're in the wood, and might be like leaving, like you know, trying to freak out everybody, try and get these like maybe she made the Blair Witch Project, but it all kind of just went out of control for her, and yeah. no one actually necessarily dies at the end, but they've made this film that's gonna. That's whatever. a good point because ultimately this is her school. This is her it's, project. She wants. So she wants to, to make it interesting, right? Yeah. So I, I there's a part where she <laughs> might have set off like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then but then like you don't, you can't anticipate how people are going to react, and it all spirals out. That's that's my that's my theory. That's like, great. Yeah. That's, that is. Yeah. You yeah. don't need a you don't like need a that. witch, but it's the it's the craziness that that happens, and you and you do you just like you feed off energy, and like you you know we we're aware of these things that happen, like mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. It's like a documented thing. Yeah. I but that's my theory on this film. So like, yeah. wherever. Heather is if she didn't die at the end she knows that her student film got picked up at Sundance (laughs) and got a national international release so she's got to be happy Mm -hmm. the the great thing is because she's left acting it just adds to the mythology doesn't it like maybe Mm. this is real where is Heather I haven't seen her in anything (laughs) (laughs) so it's our final section section nine somebody put baby in the corner Uh, we have the running round Rustin Parr's home now again at the start, I'm pretty sure they said it got burnt to the ground, which would imply that this house shouldn't be there, which again leans into this time travel. They've been transported back to the 1940s where Rustin Parr's cabin is still there and he is actually the murderer. It's not the Blair Witch. It's just a loony guy who claims, as he does at the start, that uh, when he returns to town, he was possessed by the Blair Witch. Um... We get a bit of running around, handprints on the wall. Oh, they're little hands, aren't Great. they? Little children's <laughs> hands. Oh. And then the terrifying last scene of Mike standing in the corner. The end. Mm. Or as a mm-hmm. bloke in Camden put it, what, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this ending. So after Artisan bought the film of Sundance, uh, they requested an alternate ending because test screenings apparently left audiences confused with the ambiguity. Now, obviously, yeah. in the end, they put that bit in earlier where they talk about the kids in the corner and that yeah. ties to Mike mm. being in the yeah. corner. But they did uh, film three alternatives. Yes. Uh, you're aware of these, obviously. I've seen them all. Yeah. And? 
What, what, take us through them, which you like. So the, so the one they went with is definitely the best because it, it, it plays into the mythology and makes mm. the film ultimately really scary. Mm. But there's one ending that I really like where, where Heather goes down, she hears the noises of screaming and stuff in, in the basement. She goes down there and Mike isn't in the corner. He's hanging on some kind of like like stick thing like he he's become the stick man and he's hanging in the middle of the room and i was like wow that is terrifying like what mm. what is going on there um i'm trying to remember the other ones it's where i think he's facing her so yeah. there's something really confrontational and a bit yeah. like oh it's aggressive something yeah. you go down he's just like you're, you've been screaming for him and then he's like on silent and then he's yeah. just standing there watching you Staring. yeah and it's like yeah. is, is mike in on this yeah, or is yeah, he yeah. a victim like which yeah. makes it with that version it's like oh yeah the boys are in on it and they're like screaming yeah. with her for sure but like that's the yeah, it's, they definitely chose the right one yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one where he was hanged as well. I think that's the third one. But right. yeah, mm. again, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this this is the shot that stays with you. Yeah. Uh, just that, just crazy. Just a so. It, I think because it's so so weird. Um, uh, just having a man standing in the corner. <laughs> The uncanny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, look, I, I, I can, I, within the confines of this film, I'm happy if anyone wants to stand in a corner. I'm not sort of walking into rooms going, does mm-hmm. no one go in the corner? Uh, so, any more for any more or should we do the bit? Yeah, just what I got off your podcast again when Eduardo was talking to you. He said that they wanted to make a prequel. Um, it was a Rustin Parr story set in the 1940s and they mm-hmm. wanted to shoot it in black and white. That was yeah. their plan. Ooh. But obviously... Um, the studio wanted a movie out within nine months, yeah. a sequel, and that's how we got Book of Shadows. Yeah, and actually what wasn't, what I didn't, what I edited out of the podcast is his idea for a sequel for, for Blair Witch. Mm. Um, At his request, he didn't want it out there because he might make it. Well, I think I was a little, played into it a little bit, but <laughs> no, well, like, Cards on the Table, I actually pitched um, to the studio a, a new version of Blair Witch about a year ago. Um, they were looking for takes and I pitched my thing and, it, and I showed it to, Eduardo first and he was like yeah this is basically what I was going to do because um, it's based on the mythology looking mm. into it a little bit more and, um, and was yeah. that the script that he wrote in 2010 because he does mention that called, he said it was called Burkittsville yeah, uh, yes his, version, his was going to be different accounts of what happened in the woods yeah I guess that night yeah um, and and uh, one thing that he wanted to do was was really delve into the mythology a, a more like the Rustin Parr story mm. but also uh, Ellie Kedward and, and even further back like what happened even further back like it's the land that's evil mm-hmm. um, something's wrong with the land it's it's all there isn't it you've yeah. set up so much mythology mm, that yeah. just hasn't been used that yeah. it's just sad like they haven't really had the opportunity to I mean obviously I don't know if they would work together again but um, certainly Eduardo is regrets I think not having got done another Blair Witch when other people yeah. have got to do it yeah the things he said about Blair Witch 2 just just him and Daniel sitting in the cinema watching Blair Witch 2 going what is going on here what is this and that's like a year later <laughs> yeah it's, like a, it's exactly a I year later I the story of why this happened sorry I'm on the back so so obviously they wanted to r- rush out another because Blair Witch mm. made infinity yeah. money they wanted uh, to do it but uh, they weren't ready to do another film just then, so they got another filmmaker to make it, and it's not found footage. It's not great at all. Right. Um, there were some interesting ideas, but it, it just it's it's not great, and right. I don't even think of it as canon. No. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I, I like the 2016 one. I like it too. Yeah. yeah. Actually, was, me yeah. me and Rob Rob Savage, we're a little bit obsessed with the 2016 one more than we should be, just because there are some real interesting things they did there um, for, for the mythology. The thing they did wrong in the 2016 version is they showed violence and death on screen, which the which the original didn't do, mm. and that's why it stays in your head. It's mm. like a psychological horror rather than like gore gore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that idea. 
differing accounts of what happened in the woods with the townsfolk of Burkittsville. Yeah. That'd be good. That'd be good. Mm. Right then, let's pick our bits from this movie. I'm going to start with you, Chris. What is the best scene from The Blair Witch Project? I'm very glad I wasn't in that cinema with you, Alex, <laughs> because it's the final scene for me. And I don't know if it would have been ruined if someone shouted out something like that and everyone laughed. Yeah. Um, yep. It might have made me laugh, but it frightened me then and it gives me chills thinking about it now and it's what gave me nightmares so for me it's the final shot well i'll quickly second that yeah uh, mike in the corner I, i'm not actually always a big fan of ambiguous endings um but i think because of the rich mythology that the filmmakers created and i've actually i know you say it's not in the movie but i've enjoyed so much like digging outside the film mm-hmm. because i think it actually uh, makes a whole film experience uh, just more engrossing, like ha- having all these different things that it could, it might not be. So I, I like the fact that the ending leans into that and allows you to like look at all these different theories as we as we have done on on the show and sort of go, oh, it could be that, it could be that. By not going, it's definitely one thing or the other. You can have fun with it, Jed. Um, I think my favourite bit is the exact opposite of your bit. It's the it's the title card at the start, just with the <laughs> just with the disclaimer, essentially, just telling you what's going to happen in the film. Because I I just think that's genius. Mm. It it really plays with our expectations. And um, I mean, I'm sure it's happened loads of times before, but just it's so iconic. I have that on three different t-shirts. <laughs> that text. So <laughs> I absolutely I absolutely love that, and it's been copied so many times. Mm. But the ending and the very start are just so iconic. Yeah, I think it's Fargo was the obvious one that did it before mm. that. Ah, like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, then obviously we then had like a Cloverfields that everyone started doing. Yeah, that yeah, trip. yeah. <laughs> Gemma, what is your best scene? I've already said my mm. one is the oh, one in yes. the tent. Yeah. Because yes. I could just imagine it happening. Because I'm too much of a, I would have been too cowardly to go into that house. I was just like, nope, like I don't care. Um, but yeah, the tent thing that is that that wakes me up at night. Yeah. Nah. All right then. Most valuable, whatever can be anything. You start us off, Chris. Heather. Heather. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's sad that people sort of hated that character. There seemed to be a real anti-Heather thing when this film came out, and you read the reviews at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really get it. I mean, yes, she can be annoying at times, but they're all annoying at times. And it's fine to have an annoying character at the centre of your film. And she's going through a lot. So, uh, yeah, I just think she she sells the shit out of this. So I'm picking your lead actress. Okay. Gemma? Uh, I think I'll go for Heather as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, people just seem to hate on her. Like, whatever for whatever reason, she's, she's the leader. She's in charge. It's, you know people have let's not bring sexism into it or anything like that <laughs> no. um, it's the 90s um but yeah I, I think she's amazing that or the really 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 big stick figure the furry one that's mm-hmm. in the woods that just like, I, like, I love that i want that in my house <laughs> chewbacca i believe is what they call that <laughs> really? one on the set that's yeah. my favorite <laughs> it's interesting you said i wonder you wonder if perhaps it's because we see mike and josh on camera a lot more than we see Heather. So because Heather is a, a disembodied mm. voice and we can't mm. read her face yeah. as well, and we That's can't so really understand, like, because you can tell so much about the expression on someone's face. We don't know if she's actually like hiding her fear or she really is like genuinely like that overconfident and whatever. Mm. Whereas Mike, you can see his face. He's subtle and he's unhappy. Josh mm. looks scared at points. So, Maybe that means that Heather is the one who people target as I don't like her. That's so perceptive. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I never even thought about that. Until that yeah. iconic shot where she is right mm. up in with her nostrils in her yeah. face. Yeah, she's completely vulnerable. Yeah. Which is when yeah. which is when everyone be- feels sympathetic for mm. her. Yeah. Uh, Jed, most valuable whatever. Um, mine is the return on investment. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> because this <laughs> this film made infinity money, and for these like uh, they they spoken like a true producer. <laughs> yeah, they 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 were all broke. Everyone involved in this film were broke. They were just doing it for favors, and they made a film that stands the test of time as one of the in the in the top five best return on investments ever for a little found footage movie, and I just think that's incredible and. And again, like you heard when I spoke to Eduardo on that podcast, I don't think he it's even sunk in even now just how iconic and how incredible that is. And um, yeah, it just gives you it just gives you lots of hope and lots of like, like get up and go like, we can do this. We mm. can do this. Um, did, did the actors get a back end as well? Um, yes, I believe um, contracts were renegotiated after the success ah, of it, which was uh, good. Well, that is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll pick uh, our filmmakers, Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Um, I just think uh, it's a combination of creating this um, this idea that this is real and building such a rich mythology combined with, you know, while I wouldn't like to be an actor working on one of their films, I, I think this, this <laughs> method filmmaking, as they called it, I think you get performances that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going for. And finally, what would each of us change about the Blair Witch Project. I'll start with you, Judd. Oh. Anything. Wow. I mean, because it's one of your favourite films of all time. It is. It's difficult because, like, I just love every bit of it. Um, maybe just because you, you, you brought up, maybe a little bit more of Heather. Mm. Maybe Heather on camera a little bit more. And I was actually, I'm a big fan of The Curse of the Blair Witch, where you have a lot more of that background information. Maybe some of that in the film as well, just so to build a mythology within mm. the standalone film. But it's it's pretty perfect. It's, it's the best found footage film. One of the best horror movies of all time for me so it's difficult to find anything to change Interesting. For me. I'll, I'll, I'll commit heresy now <laughs> off the back of that by saying uh, you actually mentioned it earlier you, you said how much you love the start of this film and yeah. how much you love the end of this film and I, I feel the same this film starts so well yeah. and like the townsfolk and like building that mythology and I think the ending like the, sort of around the time Josh disappears yeah. and you really feel the anxiety levels rise and then running around there Rustin Parr's shadow and then Mike in the corner. I do feel the middle is a bit too baggy. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are moments in it which are great, but I do think they're too few and far between and there's too much repetition of sort of ups and downs, which may be, you know, a realistic portrayal of what it might be like to get lost in the woods. But for me, there are just not enough big hit points that sort of plot developments, character developments, like that keep me interested. And every so often, it does feel like a movie that was winging it slightly mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, as they intended to do, sort yep. of like just giving these actors little notes of what they should do that day. And I feel, I feel it lacks something. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's difficult to quite put my finger on it, but you know. You've got Mike kicking the map, which we singled out as a point because that is a big moment. And I think a couple more moments like that might have really helped. Maybe even, this might be the heresy here, maybe even leaning into some more traditional horror scares. Like, for example, uh, you know, instead of just something pressing against the canvas, something slicing open the canvas, something Mm. that is a little more of a visceral, holy shit, moment that doesn't necessarily ruin the ambiguity of the film which i love but just gives us a little more genuine scares in the middle section as opposed to sort of just like "Mm, this isn't gonna end well (laughs) chris uh i'm with you jed i think this is an almost perfect film i don't there are many perfect films so i'm gonna go with something eduardo said 
on your podcast. <laughs> um, well, he said they weren't anticipating it being in the cinemas. They thought they'd made a VHS movie, maybe an HBO movie. And he says they wouldn't have made it quite so shaky if they'd known it was going to be released in a cinema because they found it hard to watch. Yeah. Now, it was a criticism that level with it. I don't remember feeling it that much when I watched it. It was part of the experience. Mm. But if that's what I'd what I said, I'm going with that. <laughs> OK. I've come up with another very quick one. But your last one went on for ages. I know. I, I know. It was, it, was too, it was too long. Uh, I, sh- I should have just read it instead of riffing. Uh, Cloven Who Footprints. Could they be deer? Could they be something else leading up to the tent in the middle of the night? Anyway, sorry, Gemma. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, I, I'm torn. I'm torn about what I changed. I do think it's an almost perfect movie. I think the, what I'd like to do is sort of a little bit. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Alex, um, but I'm, I think the solution for me personally wouldn't be for more. Uh, scares necessarily because I do like that sense that you're with them and you're experiencing like what like the anticipation of when is it going to happen again and you're looking and that, that's quite exhausting and you're kind of it puts you in their empathy and mindset I, I like that I think for me it's more the solution might be more along something what you were saying Jed about I wanted a bit more um, sense of what is driving their their character dynamics and the relationships and like why, like, uh, you know, why does she care so much about this? So like, is it, you know, whether it's like leaning more into, is it just like a, a, a protection thing for herself to be filming everything? Or is there something else going on? I just wanted a little bit more to like understand why people are, might be acting the way they are that doesn't have a supernatural um, explanation. And I think that mm-hmm. just tiny, tiny little bits in the middle where you're like, I'm not quite sure why people, have, you know, would would have just tweaked it that like, you know, 1% more for me. Um, but yeah, otherwise I think it's, I wouldn't, I don't know what I'd change. Maybe not the bloody, maybe not the bloody um, thing they find, like convert, like controversially, because that's something really specific, like you're in danger here, whereas everything else is a bit more, ambiguous and uncanny which I, I preferred um, when I saw that bloody thing I'm like oh like someone's pranking you like this isn't this isn't mm, yeah. actually a the witch this is like did Josh do that you know yeah. that's what I was thinking I think I think if we if we made this film back in like we would have had at least a couple of levitation scenes and Hannah <laughs> would be on fire at one that's point that's true <laughs> well, we can't, I can't chat really they're both yeah alright brilliant well by the sounds of things paranormal activity is Going to have a tough act to follow uh, on Thursday. Uh, but very quickly, let's look ahead to next week. Chris, you've got a clue for our pairing on next week's shows. Yeah, my clue is uh, both these films are a real drag. Oh, I know it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I might not even not need to put a second clue up, I think. I think people are going to get it. But yeah. It was one of your go. easier clues. You're in your easier clues. Uh, right then, that is it for this episode. Uh, a big thank you to our guests, Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard. Their brilliant found footage horror dash cam is in cinemas now. So go get some friends together and head to your local cinema for one hell of a ride. Thank you both for coming in. You're coming back on Thursday, yeah? We are. Yeah. Amazing Thanks for having us. news. Amazing news. Uh, all four of us, like I said, will be back on Thursday to discuss paranormal activity and decide whether it has what it takes to beat Blair Witch in this week's Clash. In the meantime, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We'll be back Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.